welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lewis. Really excited to be talking with you again this week. As always, we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. And this week, I'm really pleased to have Drew Brockington with me. And Drew is a artist. He is a author. He is... He does a little bit of a lot of things, and we're going to be talking about a brand new book that he has called Metropolis Grove, and we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about him as a dad, as a dad of two twins. So first and foremost, thanks so much, Drew, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. I'm, I'm excited to talk. You know, I'm excited to have you here as well. I love being able to bring in different dads to be able to get their experience because every father's experience in fatherhood is completely different. We father in different ways, and there's not one right manual to being a dad. So sharing the stories of dads that are out there is important. And so I always start the show with some questions to delve a little bit into you as a dad. And first and foremost, what I want to do, I know your your twins are five years old, and the being that this is the Dads with Daughters podcast, I want to turn the clock back in time. And I want you to go back in time and talk to me about that first reaction that you had when you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter. Oh, wow. So, so that was, I'm remembering. So at that point, we already knew that we were having twins. And I remember when we went back for the ultrasound to find out the sex of the, of the kids that in my head, I was like, oh, I really, if they're identical, I'm really hoping that I don't have identical twins because I'm like figuring out like, I have that fear of like, I'm going to get them mixed up or I have to like put like a Sharpie mark on one of their shoulders or whatever. But then they said like, okay, you're going to have a daughter and a son. And I was like, whoa, okay, great. This is So there's this relief that I'm like, all right, they'll be able to, I'll be able to tell them apart at least. And I was, I was really excited for that. Being a father of fraternal twins, every father that I've talked to that has had fraternal twins, they tend to say how different the personalities tend to be of the children. But tell me about the experience that you've had thus far, being a father of twins and what that experience has been like for you. Yeah, it's been really interesting. My wife and I have been really trying to really stick to not being helicopters and getting, you know, just stepping back, even stepping out of the room and letting the kids kind of learn how to play together and and play themselves. And my wife, Joanne, would call it explore your world for them, you know, explore your world time where she just kind of, you know, like we'd set them up in their blankets and then just kind of, you know, go about our house day, you know, and, you know, checking in on them and everything. Um, But that's, that's like continued through, uh, through now, through their, their toddlerhood. And now they're into their, you know, preschool, pre-K lives. Um, where like, you know, I see Marcy, my daughter, um, you know, she'll start playing or, you know, start moving a couch cushion and start building some contraption. And like, there's always that second that I'm like, well, I really don't want the couch taken apart or I don't want yarn stretched across the entire room. And then just kind of like remembering like, okay, let's back off and see what happens. And then, and she always has some backstory or like they built a machine or the other day they, I came downstairs, I was working upstairs. I came downstairs, every blanket in the house was piled in, in one corner. Every cushion of every chair was piled in all their stuffed animals, all their toys were all like together 
other. And they're like, we made a fox den and we're living here now, you know, and it, it took up three quarters of the living room and it was insanely huge, but they had everything. It, like there was a bathroom in it and they had where they're going to make their food, where they're going to sleep. They were like playing together in their reading zone or whatever, you know, there. And so like they had built this whole little world which is really cool. And just reminding myself like, oh, if I stepped in, if I was worried about making sure the living room doesn't get torn apart, then like I'd miss that whole little magic little moment. So that's been a big thing and a big constant like reminder of myself. It's like, okay, let's just follow them down their rabbit hole that they're going for a little bit. You know, one of the things you just said there, I mean, shows the creativity that they already have in their lives and being at five years old. Now you're a creative person. So, you know, the, the, the work that you do on a daily basis brings out your own creativity. So I'm sure that they are getting that from you, maybe your wife too, but being a, a creator yourself, as you knew that you were going to be a father and as your kids have gotten older now, how have you allowed for them to explore that creativity for themselves? We do lots of like uh, imagination play is really big. And I tried to like when I was in college, I was really into improv and learning improv comedy and everything. And, um, and I try to kind of follow the same rules with them when I'm playing with them. So if they bring me a bowl or whatever. And I'll turn it into like a hat or a a helmet or something, you know, and then they'll, you know, if they run with it, then yeah. But if they correct me and they're saying like, oh, it's not, it's not a hat, dad. It's, it's a drum. And I'll be like, oh, great. I'll go get my instrument and we'll start a band or, you know, so I'm always just trying to build off of whatever they bring to me. But I'm also just trying to give them that nugget of of something to grab onto for something for them to start building with. Like yesterday, Marcy had this like frog and was banging it, making frog noises. It's like a little wooden frog. And I was like, go outside and sing a song. And then they ran outside and then we could hear this whole like song they're shouting to the neighborhood or something. So it's just those little nuggets of like, do this or what about this? Or what if we were here, you know, that gives them that kind of jumping off point. So they don't have that blank canvas, you know, like fear of like, where do I start? You know, like, I know I want to do something, but where do I start? And sometimes it's just that like, hey, what if we're under the ocean or just to give them that prompt? You know, I love that concept because I remember back to my own improv days at college. And actually for everyone, for you that are listening, Drew and I have some common background because he went to Kalamazoo College in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I went to Western Michigan University, which is basically a stone's throw away from the campus. Literally a stone's throw. You can wave throw. to each other's right. campus. Yes, we could wave to each other. But in my own background, I did theater at Western as well. So we did improv. But I always love the concept of improv with parenting because it's like you just said, it's the yes and. So in improv, if you've never done improv before, the concept is always building upon the last person. And no matter what that person says, so it's always a yes and. So often as individuals, as humans, as parents, we shut things down. We say no, or we say but, or we say some other word that negates what just was said and it pivots what just was said. And improv is completely the opposite, where you're supposed to build upon whatever said, no matter what direction it goes. And improv parenting, maybe you should start uh, hashtagging that. You okay. should start hashtagging like that. that. 
Yeah, your next book. There you go. There's a title for your for your next book, <laughs> Improv Parenting. So that might be an interesting concept for you. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely like times that I have ended up in a place that I wouldn't have thought to be, especially like if we're riding on the bike and they're like, let's check this out, you know, and I'm like, all right, let's go see where I'm at. And and then all of a sudden we stumble across somebody flying a kite or launching a model rocket or something and get to find some stuff. So now every father that has a daughter, as you get into raising your daughter, you start to realize that their experience is a lot of times very different than your own. And I think that that's some of the, the fear that comes with raising daughters. When I talk to fathers, there, there's this sometimes an innate fear because of the unknown experience that a woman goes through versus what we know in our own experience in growing up as, as men or young men in society. As you look at the experience that you've had in raising your daughter so far, what would you say has been the hardest part? I think the hardest part I think just her personality is very different from mine in general. So it's a lot of like learning how to talk to her and, you know, get her to like, I, I know she just learning how her process works for, you know, when she wants to do something or when even like simple things like getting her clothes on or using the bathroom or something like that. There's this like, I, you know, I know she, her body is telling me the signals that she is needing to go, but she has, you know, a fear or a shyness about it. So it's like, well, how do I communicate to her that this is what we need to do? Because I, I think I'm, I'm always afraid of bringing that. I don't want to instill that fear about this is something that is a part of normal life, you know, so I don't want to instill any fear around it or whatever. So it's, just, it's really just learning how to communicate with her has been probably the the hardest thing and the thing that takes the most like updating, you know, as she's like going to school now and coming home, like, you know, she's learning a bunch of new new things and new skills. And I'm like figuring out that I have to constantly revise how I teach and how I hang out with her. It is amazing as your kids get older, how much you see yourself growing and aging with them. I found that to be especially the case in those formative years, even before school, because you see them doing little, little things that become big things. And you're like, oh my gosh, look how far they've come. And then you're like, oh, Look at that gray. Oh, I'm getting older. And you realize that. And, and it continues to happen as your children get older, too. As you look at the future in raising your daughter today, what would you say is your biggest fear? I am concerned about like what opportunities are going to be available to her in the future. I mean, just looking at like, there's all this scariness about like climate change and, and everything. And it's like, it's her future going to be something that resembles my adulthood? Or is it going to be, you know, that post-apocalyptic uh, notion where, or is her career going to be something that like, all hands on deck, everyone needs to work in order to save the planet. Everyone needs to become a solar engineer or a kelp farmer or, you know, random things like that. So it is weird, like now how they talk about that stuff, how it is going to directly affect all these generations that are children now. So that's kind of scary for me. It is scary. And we see things all the time in regards to the little and small changes that happen no matter where we live. 
whether it's amazingly cold winters up in Minneapolis, where you are, and even where I'm at in Michigan, to down in the South, where you're getting droughts and fires and out out in the West. And just, you know that something is wrong. Something is that the earth is changing in different ways that is causing these things to happen. And then it's trying to educate your kids to be able to help them to see We have to be good stewards of the earth and be able to know that if we're not, things are going to get a lot worse Yeah, and teaching them along the way. And it's hard to say what's going to happen. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know that either of us know. I mean, I know that we have to make change and small changes and teaching our kids to make those changes, I think, is the first step. And then we have to go from there. Yeah. And it just seems like, especially with this year, that there's so many changes that have become dire, not not just about the environment, but about politically wise and within like neighborhoods and people living together and people in the police and different races and and things like that, that there is so much that, that you need to instill into your child because it's like, okay, yeah, they are going to be taking over and let's make sure that they're going to treat everyone equally and they're going to be conscious of the carbon footprint, like you're saying, and, and, and all those things. But it's that kind of spills over into like so many other categories as well. You know, you brought this up and we talked about this right before we started today was the fact that where you live in Minneapolis is a mile away from where everything happened this past George year. Floyd, yeah. And George Floyd. Yeah. And I mean, your kids are young, but I'm sure that with everything happening and with being as close as you are, there had to have been some conversations, some kind of better understanding for them to know what was happening. How did you and your wife navigate that? That was really such a surreal time because like, I remember waking up and seeing this clump and realizing it was the ash from the riots and was, you know, had floated down into our neighborhood. So like when we started talking to him about it, we just kept it very, you know, matter of fact and said, like, this happened, George Floyd was killed by a police officer. And just stressing, like, this is something that is not normal, it should never be normal, and is, you know, just like, not something we believe in. But then also, like, that whole area, they turned into a memorial. So we brought the kids to that area after, you know, after a few weeks and they walked around and got to experience that. And to this day, my daughter Marcy still brings it up. And I can see how big of an impact of like seeing everybody at the memorial and like we, you know, laying flowers down there and taking part in that ceremony has on her and how much she is just more in tune with um with what happened and in our conversations with like the verdict that was released, like she she was able to actually contribute to that conversation about the Derek Chauvin trial and and everything. Um, so yeah, it was it was basically like you know telling them up front, you know, this is what happened, and then just bringing them into those experiences that my wife and I needed to go experience as well. And it's they're old enough; they know that both of our parents passed away, Joanne's mom and my dad. And, you know, so like they're familiar with this concept of everything. So like we're just bringing them into it so they can experience it. It's definitely could not have been completely easy, especially having those type of conversations. But it's but being so close, it sounds like it worked the way it was supposed to and that they were able to experience it in different ways and allow for them to be able to experience it and continue to experience it, which is great. 
Now, you have a brand new book, and I want to talk about that. Uh, you have a book called Metropolis Grove, and you wrote it, you illustrated it, you even did all the typeset you said on it, or the the font and such with that too. In reading the book, it was a ton of fun. I, I'm a huge fan of Marvel, DC. In reading this myself, it was fun to see Bizarro in a completely different way. And I mean, in comics, you see him kind of as a anti-hero. And in this one, there's a little bit of that, but really you get some some fun opportunities to be able to see him interacting with kids in a different way. I loved, one of the things that I wanted to say right at the forefront was I love the, the kids that become friends, that you have a mixture of different backgrounds and experiences and, and that you're bringing them all together to have those common bonds. And I think the readers will be able to see friendship in a whole new way too. Yeah, that's one thing I like, I love about kids just in general is that they can make, like you can make your best friend instantly and it, you don't have to have a ton of in common, you know? It's it's just like, hey, you're a kid, I'm a kid, sweet, we're buddies, you know? And then Zoom, they're instantly off to play together. So the characters in this, Duncan and Alex live in this suburban city outside of Metropolis called Metropolis Grove, where nothing ever happens, is very boring. And then Sonia moves to their neighborhood, and she's the only other kid in this like new development that's happening. And yeah, so they're just instantly best friend because they're they're all kids they have that in common and there are she's from metropolis so she's never been in the woods very much and like you know the proper forest she's been to like a park or whatever so duncan and alex are teaching sonia how to like you know just navigate the woods and then sonia is like oh you don't know about basically like you have a weird version of pop culture you don't like superheroes you don't, you don't even know about superman so she's trying to kind of you know bring them up to speed on why all that is so cool and then it's all about basically the kids run into bizarro in the woods and alex and duncan and sonia like immediately think it's superman you know because they see him at a distance and and they're just, you know, that shared experience is that, you know, that bond that just kind of cements them as like friends for life, even though like they go through a lot of that, like friends stabbing each other in the back or keeping secrets from each other for like, who knows what reason, like it's, it's all trivial, but because they have that kind of shared experience, they can kind of weather through it. Well, that's the thing that I think that was a lot of fun with the book as well, is the fact that the experiences that the kids have, you make it real because of the fact that, like you said, kids are getting stabbed in the back. They're having challenges and they're having to overcome them. They're having to work through fights. They're having to figure out for themselves, you know, what are, are we going to forgive a person? for mm -hmm. something that they did. And I'm not going to give everything away for you because you got to read it. But yeah, you got to read it. You got to read it. But one of the things that I also loved was the fact that Sonia took Bizarro under her wing. And for anyone that doesn't know Bizarro, I mean, Bizarro is a character that was a clone of Superman that Lex Luthor had created. Didn't turn out exactly right. Yeah, he was kind of half-baked is the original origin story that I kind of picked up with. But in the comics, he's kind of an anti-hero in regards to he he tries to do good, but doesn't always do good. And he, you know, kind of does good in kind of an opposite way. Gets things done, but gets them done in his own way, and which is not the way that Superman typically would. But Sonya takes him under her wing to help him be a hero. And it's really fun to see that relationship develop. But I guess for me, 
one of the things as a comic book fan from a young age, talk to me about what drew you to this story and what was it about Bizarro? You know, if you're a comic book fan yourself or not, but what was it specifically about this story that drew you in? So, I mean, for me, this story was really being able to play within that DC sandbox was really fun. And, and that was, I guess, the challenge that when I talked to DC about you know possibility of doing a book with them, the challenge was staying away from the Wonder Woman or, you know, you know, Batman or, or anything like that, like any of the, you know, the character and who they are and based on, you know, just whatever site or whatever. So it was really kind of digging into uh, some of the, the um, other characters in their universe. And yeah, what I, what I liked about Bizarro was that um, when I started looking into him and his his origins of being this freshly escaped clone is that he really is. He is trying to to do good. He is trying to be this this hero because all he has in his clone mind is that he is Superman. He believes he is Superman and just doesn't know how to do it yet. And I think that is very much paired with, you know, being a kid or growing up where like, you know, how you need to act or want to act or what you want to be, but you don't necessarily know how to get there. So a lot of it is making things up on the fly and trial and error and just like stumbling and falling down and learning from that mistake. And I like the idea of Bizarro being discovered by kids who just take him at face value of like, whoa, you have superpowers. This is amazing. And just kind of that kid excitement that helps mold Bizarro into like the next level. Like he can feed off of their excitement and uh, and they can like, they feed off of him and his abilities and, and everything. So it was really this kind of like fish out of water, but then Sonia and Bizarro kind of are able to guide each other a little bit. Like, Sonia is able to kind of instill in him her knowledge of like what a hero is and Bizarro kind of like indirectly gives her this that shared experience and that her group basically through like sharing her love of superheroes and Superman with her friends that like Bizarro brings her and her new friends closer together. So you talked about the fact that you kind of explored some of the characters in DC that had not been explored. How did you decide that it was Bizarro? Was it that your choice or was that given to you as a choice? That was my choice. Yeah. And coming up with some other ideas, like the other idea that I was playing around with was like a, a summer camp or a day camp where some of these heroes are counselors, some of like the other tiered ones. But I mean, the thing that really I liked about Bizarro was that and especially this version of Bizarro is that he is fresh and it was a way to tell an origin story without having to tell the origin story. You know, it's almost like origin version 1.1. Like he's already out and he's already, you know, he's already there. So I could start with pretty blank slate and grow him the way I, I wanted to grow him. And I really like that about it. I also just liked his weirdness was really attractive to the kid characters. The fact that he is kind of his opposite nature leans to lots of more goofs and jokes. And like, I was looking at like, oh, I can have fun with him. He can shoot ice beams and fire breath 
that, then there's lots of opportunities for me to really have fun with him learning and just kind of, yeah, just figuring out his powers at the same time. So as you, and this is not going to be a spoiler for those, for, for you that are reading, but the book is left a little bit open at the end. So, so my question is, do you have some further stories that you are excited to write? Yeah, I'd love to continue this as possible. Yeah, it's kind of left open where do we follow these kids more? Do we follow Bizarro a little more? I'd love to do like a field trip because this book is all about Sonia being a fish out of water in this, you know, like learning how to navigate the woods in the suburbs. I'd love to do, you know, kind of the opposite where we bring Duncan and Alex into Metropolis and kind of see these suburb country kids kind of try to figure out the big city. That'd be really fun. So yeah, it's it's something that I tried to write it that it would be satisfying. But at the same time, if I have the opportunity to add a new story that, yeah, I can just kind of jump off and get in there. And were there other characters that you are excited to be able to write about as well? In this book, the kids are exploring Bizarro's house that he makes. And on the wall is this poster of all of the uh, rogues galleries, I guess, for Superman. And it's all the, like, Toy Man is in there. Like, all these random DC heroes, Starro, Amazo. Captain Cold, like all these just kind of very, especially in their like classic, you know, like 50s and 60s costumes and just kind of personalities, like they all have a very kind of like, I'll get you next time, you know, and I love that just kind of goofy identity that some of them have. So I'd love a chance to explore those. I kind of set that up so that he almost like Bizarro has this like, you'll see it in his house. He has this like shrine to Superman because he's trying to be Superman. So this, in my head, like this poster of rogues is basically everything he needs to defeat in order to achieve like maximum Superman status. So I could see him like just using that as a checklist and just kind of like going through them one by one. Yeah, and and you did have a few X-offs. Yeah. Mr. Mixel Plixick was on there and he had the X through him. And, you know, and I saw that. It almost makes me think of what, when you were talking, it makes me think of like a rogue rehab where you bring them together (laughs) and they have to talk about, they have to work through their past issues because they're trying to be better. Yeah. (laughs) That might be fun. Swapping their bizarro stories. Yeah. Well, you know, it has been my pleasure having you on today. I love this story and I'll put a link in the notes today for everyone to be able to check it out. Now, I always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. In one word, what is fatherhood? Fatherhood is messy. Especially when you have fox dens in the living room. Yeah, fox dens and spider webs everywhere. Now, when was the time that you finally felt that you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? A lot of bedtimes, like just being there and making sure she has her cup or when she can't find her right animal that she needs. And then just knowing how to do that and sometimes anticipating that, like knowing that I better get that nightlight ready. You know. Now, if I was to talk to both of your kids and ask them, how would they describe you as a dad? Beardy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to talk about my beard and it's ever-changing array of messiness or tidiness. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? My brothers and then also my dad. I lost my dad right 
before my kids were born. So I do lots of remembering of what he would do in that situation. And finally, what advice would you give to other dads? Let them explore. I think that's a big thing. Don't be afraid to pause a minute before you step in because sometimes a minute is all they need to solve their own problems. Now we talked about this book, but if people want to find out more about you, more about all of the books that you've got, because this isn't the only book that you've got, kind of follow along as you may unveil some additional projects in the future. Where should they go? Yeah, you can find me online. My website is drewbrockington.com, all one word. And then you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at the Brock Art. That's T-H-E-B-R-O-C-K-A-R-T. All one word at the Brock Art on Twitter and Instagram. And there's lots of cool behind the scenes sketches and new stuff. Well, Drew, I just want to say thank you for being here and for sharing your story. And I wish you all the best. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me so much. This is really fun. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men, get out and be the world to them. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best dad you can be.